Okay. Yaakov, brother, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to finally be able to pick your brain. I've been watching you on the Instagram for a while. So welcome, man. Thank you. Thanks very much, Trenton. Really, really glad to be here with you and to meet you finally and to, to meet the people you're talking to. Yeah. Oh, man, we've had some awesome conversations and I'm excited about this one. And for the listeners, Yaakov is an author of several books and I won't give your whole intro because it's a whole life's worth and then the whole <laughs> podcast would be just me talking about you and what you've done. So, so Yaakov has written which, several which books. Which wouldn't be very interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. It wouldn't be such a fun conversation. Uh, he's the founder of a Movement Medicine. He's um, yeah, he's he's an incredible person. And I, I want to start this conversation. Um, he's also a shaman as well. And we might go there. Depends on where spirit leads us. But Yaakov, your journey started, I had heard when you were 21 years old. And you were struck by lightning. Is that right? That is the truth. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was actually on a golf course with a with a good friend, and I, I was young, and we were we were just playing golf, um, and uh, a storm came over and started really raining. We were on the side of a hill. I put up my umbrella. I don't know if you know golf umbrellas. At least in those days, had metal tips. I wasn't thinking. <laughs> my friend was under the umbrella with me. We were whole, he was holding on to the to we were like touching the next thing I knew he was literally thrown off me and I felt like um, like a tent peg that had just been malleted into the ground and I really wasn't sure for quite a while if I was dead or not I, I felt fine um, everything looked normal um, but my friend was somewhere over there and it took me a while to go oh I just got hit by lightning or we got hit by lightning and wow. yeah it, it was very fascinating because the first thought was wow I, sh I could be dead maybe I should be dead yeah. and I felt this like literally a strong hand at my back just saying hey Yakov, come on you know what you were into as a kid you know what your life's about stop piddling around excuse my French and get on with it start start moving towards that and so that really was um the first though I'd started doing different parts of exploration up till then that was the real kick that got me going that was the strike that set you back yeah. on the path what was the type of stuff that you were <laughs> practicing with as a child what was that where like well as as a kid I would I, I was always, I was incredibly empathic. So I knew immediately if somebody was unwell, even mm -hmm. if they, were, they weren't showing any symptoms. Yeah. Um, I used to speak to my great grandmother after she died. I just used to see her on the top of the stairs. Mm. Um, I met lots of those kinds of encounters, which as a child seemed perfectly normal to me until somebody told me that they were weird and you know then coming in to be a young teenager the last thing you want to be is any more weird than a teenager or already feels <laughs> so i kind of pushed it away and just got into sport and fitness and keeping myself sane by by really using my body a lot yeah yeah and that strike that strike kind of set you back on that path what about your friend was your friend okay for really you after that yeah, he was he was completely fine and he hadn't felt it. He just literally felt thrown off me. Mm. 
Oh, wow. And so I was holding the umbrella. So I, I just got it and he was thrown off from the shot going through my body. It's very interesting, actually, because in my work with indigenous shamans later on, yeah. um, being hit by lightning is actually one of, in many places, a common way that a shaman is pointed out to the tribe. Oh. So it was a bit like a um to get me into some really good conversations with the, the local traditional healers. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you gave me yeah, goosebumps so, yeah. when you said that. That's really cool. That's really cool. It reminds me too <laughs> of like the like the kundalini energy when people are able, shamans are able to actually send electrical sparks um, back and forth. That's that's really powerful. Yeah. What, so did you immediately? It after is that, powerful. Did, oh, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Did you? Did you? Immediately, no, no. Go ahead, please. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. When that happened, did you immediately jump back into? Like, did you say, you know what, I'm just going to embrace the spirituality the, you know, I got the touch of God or whatever you called it then? Did you just jump back? Yeah. In? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That was that was it for me. I was like, well, you can't get a clearer message than that. And wherever it came from, I'm taking that as a as the the strongest motivation yet to yeah. really get going. And then I started to seek out. I. Uh, you know, I knew a little bit about shamanism at that point, but not very much. But when I started to seek it out, the thing that was really fascinating for me was this sense that there were people all around the world speaking language I hadn't heard before, but it was the first language or way of talking about life that I, I really resonated with, that really made sense to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's exactly how life seems to me, yeah. that we are part of something greater, that we belong to nature. We're not masters of nature. We're rather servants of nature. We're, we, are, we struggle and we suffer when we lose that connection to our spirituality. And I mean spirituality without dogma. Not Religion is great, is a wonderful thing, can be can also be the worst thing in the world, as we all know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but spirituality without dogma is it's about direct experience. Mm. And that's where the, the fascination was for me. Yeah, I align with that totally nature, nature as the as the true religion and spirituality. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. Where was the first place that you went to when you started to like dive into the shamanism? Did you go to the Amazon? Well, first or I met no, not for not for many years. Actually. I, I found some some people who'd been working with Carlos Castaneda. Well, and I don't know if you know the Carlos Castaneda books, but um, that those books were really extraordinary. They were great stories. There's been a lot of um, controversy around them at the moment, but at the very least, they're very inspiring stories. And I have met people who knew him and who worked with his teachers and so for me, um, finding those guys was a real good step because it was a language that I kind of knew. It was um, a, a kind of, this was before we had any idea about cultural appropriation, but it was a kind of Native American yeah. or Mesoamerican spirituality. Um, and I worked, I was apprenticed first of all to a, a guy called Bati Thunderbear, who was <laughs> an Austrian with a great name yeah and he really was a thunderbolt 
he had massive curly hair and smoked jog Jakarta cigarettes all day long in the room with us while we were working. <laughs> this, you know, when cigarettes were still trendy. Right. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Um, so we all we all started smoking and we were all like trying to be like our teacher but it it was an amazing um initiation into basically doing ceremony out in nature and a lot of it by ourselves like one of the very first ceremonies was called night on the mountain of fear um where you're you are you go up onto a hill or a mountain i mean a hill is good enough as long as you've got you're up above everything you create yourself a little stone circle and then you do this dance and chant where you're calling all your fears to visit you during the night and you spend the night out there oh wow and in dialogue with yeah. the parts of you and the fears that you have and it, it was a very powerful night for me and you know, including very crazy things that happened yeah. that um, I still don't understand to this day. But um, that you know, I on the way up this this hill here in Devon, actually, I went through um, a car scrapyard that was on the side of the hill, and I was climbing over these cars, and I was like, "What's this doing on Dartmoor? Dartmoor's supposed to be wild nature," and um, and anyway i didn't think that much of it when did the night and on the way down i was looking for this scrap yard and i couldn't see it anywhere oh wow and then i went oh my god my father was a second-hand car salesman huh. that's what that's what he was an entrepreneur but that's what he did and it was like this the scrap of that relationship and that way of living mm. that i'd been facing all night um, wow. I asked my friends, there's no, there is no scrapyard anywhere near there. So that was entirely within my imagination. Yeah. Um, or in, you know, I, when I say imagination, I, I do mean more like the imaginal world, yeah. which is the non-physical world. Yeah. But yeah, that, that really got me going. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was climbing over these cars. There was rust everywhere. They were like broken windows. I was walking on bits of metal apparently not uh, that's incredible <laughs> what so there was dance and there was this was with the whole group of people too right so there was a lot of other people experiencing yeah. this i like that that's a yeah. really powerful thing for sure I, I i just experienced a uh my very first uh mushroom ceremony and i went in with the intention to release a lot of my personal fears as well and uh, I was I did some qigong and a bunch of movement and breath work and stuff beforehand because I feared where that might lead me because it was the first time I had tried that and I decided to go alone but it was the most <clears throat> one of the most beautiful experiences that I've ever had um just the the love that was like overflowing it was incredible was there anything else involved in that one with the thunder bear teacher <laughs> um there were no that for for many years I was uh, I never touched psychedelics and yeah. you know it was only really when I I I was I met a teacher from the Amazon mm -hmm. and in a dream as it happens I had a oh, wow. this is before Ayahuasca became you know a Hollywood movie um, it was it was really like in the nineteen early nineteen nineties. 
and I dreamt that I was flying over the Amazon and I saw this old hand coming out from the clouds just calling me and I went down down into the forest and there was a circle and lots of smoke and these very old beings men and women and one of them gave me a glass to drink just said drink this this was all in my dream I drank it I had incredibly strong powerful effect from it including purging and um, I was taken back to the beginning of creation Um, I was told remind your people that they've forgotten where we came from and then I I, the last thing I heard before I woke up was don't come and seek us out we'll tell you when it's time and I I was young at the time sorry about that I was very young and um, I was very impatient so I was like come on let's get to the Amazon let's go and find these guys but I I learned to listen to those kind of dreams and eventually uh, I was actually five or six years later that I got the call in a dream to say it's time. Wow. And then I found my way through a whole series of circumstances. You know, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear Trenton that you had such a good experience mm-hmm. and um, you know, you've obviously got um, a lot of internal strength. But I I do want to say to um, your listeners that working, we don't work with psychedelics here in in Europe um, because our our main work is movement medicine and that's taught in prisons and schools and hospitals. And of course, if you Googled movement medicine and ended up with psychedelics, that would be (laughs) the end of that. It's a pity, but it is the truth. Yeah. But one of the things I've learned from indigenous shamans about working with strong substances like that is very often the first journey that you have can be very um, kind, generous and extraordinary. Mm. If you want to work deeper than that, then get guidance. Make sure you have somebody with you who's holding the space for you, who knows about dosage, who knows about um, integration, all Mm. of these things which are for indigenous people for whom psychedelics are just part of the culture, nowhere near like they are for us. Yeah. Nowhere near. Like they don't take psychedelics for fun. Right. They, they it's a ceremony, it's it's for guidance. Mm-hmm. And they won't go back for another session until they fully integrated, that means brought into manifestation mm-hmm. the the vision that they received. Yeah. And I'll stand on that too. I, yeah. I, I agree 100% with yeah. that too. Because I, I feel like, I'm not sure how it is in Europe, but here in the States, people have been talking so much lately about all of those different methods of healing in there. People are jumping past moving their body. They're jumping past breath work. They're jumping past, you know, more natural, not I shouldn't say natural, but um, more lower level healing. And they're jumping straight to, yeah. you know, to things like that, to psychedelics yeah. and and hoping that that's going to fix their whole life. And I know a lot of people who have been to like ayahuasca is really popular right now. And they've been to Peru 10 times for ceremonies. And they've that, like you said about the integration, they haven't integrated anything. And so they haven't healed. They're just spending all this money doing these ceremonies. And yeah, I agree with you. It's very typical of our industrial world. We, you know, we, 
we're, we're all, we're the kind of not enough culture. Yeah. So never enough, like whatever it is, we can never get enough of it. And it doesn't matter whether it's um, something that has the title of spirituality and psychedelics and healing. If you don't, if you're not willing to do your biographical work, your ancestral work, mm. your, the work that's really about defining what is it that is the rudder in the sea of the unknown that we're sailing in, in this life. And that's purpose. It's absolutely, you, you have to have a clear sense of purpose and embodied resource in order to make use of that kind of medicine. You know, the Achua people in the Amazon who we work with, we, we take a group there every year and we have three godchildren there. And mm. um, these people are extraordinary. Their whole tradition, they've never been defeated. Their tradition is unbroken. It goes back thousands of years. That's Even when the Spanish came, they saw them off. They're wow. very fierce warrior culture. And um, incredibly, just brilliant people, you know, not to say that they're without their problems. That's, that would be untrue. Of course, they're, <laughs> they're human beings. But for them, if they work with that medicine, they might do that three or four times throughout the whole of their life, mm. unless they're training. And if you're training as a shaman, then okay, then you're going to be working with that really um, to be able to master it and master your relationship with it, I would say, mm -hmm. and to understand it in a much deeper way. And that involves a lot of um, really strong discipline. And I think that's often the thing that's missing for us in the modern world in our spiritual seeking yeah. is there's a kind of aversion to structure and discipline. I, I know I had the same aversion <laughs> when I was young mm -hmm. and, and um, you know, I often say to people, well, imagine we took the skeleton out of your body, um, which is the structure, one of the main core structures of your body, the core structure. Imagine we remove that. Now try and do anything. <laughs> and then, then tell me that structure doesn't have a place, yeah. a real place. And of course, you want structure and fluidity, but it's that dance that is the creation that we, and the, the alchemy of, healing on yeah. a personal and ancestral familial level. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. One of, one of my wife and I's mentors, uh, Kelly Brown, she's a Qigong master. And she talks about that a lot with a lot of the young students. They, they just want to skip ahead and avoid the structure, avoid the game plan and just go straight to plant medicine and go, oh, well, the, the hape and waska, it'll fix me. And she's like, guys, yeah. you got, you got to work with, you got to work with your body first. Once you can, I, I heard, I forget who said this, um, but he said that, you know, there's several planes of existence that we exist on. And he's, he stated that it was very important to master your planes from the bottom up, almost like your energy system or your chakras, like mastering the physical body and your primal emotions. And then like all the way up and psychedelics take you out yeah. into the astral realm where if you haven't mastered every other part of your existence, then you're like you said, you're kind of, you're at the whim of the spirits and the entities and your own ego and fears. And it's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. And that's, that I also agree with. 
like the shamans train for years too because then they're able to hold that space and protect you like you said it's i I do i second that it's very important to find the correct people (laughs) to lead you and guide you and i mean i give you another example of that uh thank you for saying that yeah really really clear and your your qigong teacher obviously has her her feet firm her mind and her soul firmly in her feet and that's that's a wonderful thing to have as a guidance and you know all the i'll just give you this example one of our elders in the amazons a guy called sumpa and he's actually nobody knows how old he is but he's he's got to be at least in his 80s he's been leading ceremonies for more than 60 years and he's still training wow he still still goes to see other shamans in the forest to learn from them and to you know to challenge anything that's a little bit off in him to keep himself on the straight and narrow yeah a bit like you know a, a therapist might have supervision or mentoring yeah um in our world and so important and this guy you know he's an extraordinary man he's a you know he if he lived in japan he'd be a national treasure he's just <laughs> um um, or if he lived in England, the king would knight him for sure. <laughs> He'd be Sir Sumper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. In in like in your travels yeah. with the indigenous peoples, like because I've I've seen that you've been with indigenous people. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Indigenous people from all over the world, and you and uh, Savannah have created this this dance, this movement, this really powerful healing through movement was that did you witness a lot of that with the indigenous people around the world like I know ceremonial and anything like that well it's very interesting I'm I'm so pleased you asked me that because that's really where I wanted to I would have gone yeah. um, in this conversation um, the indigenous shamans that we worked with whether it was in the arctic or the amazon or in um, central north america or in um, south africa um wherever it was that we met traditional healers they were all they were very clear listen yakov you're a, a white jewish guy who was born in liverpool you're you're never going to be an amazonian shaman and nor should you be your job and the only reason i actually um call myself a shaman these days is because these elders kept saying to me you must own that role Mm. in your culture because there's lots of other people who are owning that role yeah who've done a weekend (laughs) you've been at this for 30 years and nearly 40 years now Mm. and um so they they were very clear it's not not your job to copy or take what we're doing your job is to translate that experience into language ceremony and medicine that is appropriate for your own culture and uh, alongside working with indigenous shamans, we were also working with an extraordinary woman, also a shaman called Gabrielle Roth, who lived in New York, and she created a body of work called the Five Rhythms. Mm. She was a pioneer. She was, you know, like in the realm of Martha Graham and Anna Halperin, these extraordinary pioneers of movement as medicine, yeah. you might say. And we apprenticed with Gabrielle for 18 years. And what what movement medicine is, which is the body of work that Susanna and I created, is the integration of all we learn from these indigenous 
um, teachers, from Gabrielle, from family constellations, from systems theory, from neuroscience. So it's, it's a very thorough and demanding, in a way, body of work um, that really takes people to that place of um, embodying integrity, embodying soul, and the work that it takes to reclaim, <clears throat> excuse me, our physical body from memory, from the past, and to be able to learn to discern between um, what's vision and what's fantasy, and to learn to discern that in, at the very least, this isn't even about you. It's about what you give. That's what shamanism has always been about. It's not about like, wow, I had this amazing vision and, you know, and, and then next weekend I had another amazing vision and then next weekend and so on. Yeah. It's about how am I living that vision in service of life, in direct, embodied, grounded relationship with the land I live in, my body, the land I live on, where I'm actually based, yeah. the ancestors, um, the dream that I came here to bring to this world and my capacity to make that into an offering. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's a lot of research which says that, you know, there's no such thing as human happiness without giving. Yeah. And yeah, that's the key. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it sounds like you have definitely you are fulfilling your life's purpose definitely in that dream that you had about revisiting and like rewilding like I'll say our people like Caucasian northern European people like and I feel like a lot of white people like we don't want to talk about the loss of our heritage very much and maybe because we're not aware of that history but empire took a lot from us through you know, I, I'm of Northern European descent, mostly Scottish, you know, like the Celtic. And I've been attracted to that deeply since I was a child. And, you know, paganism and that type of spirituality really fills me up and makes me feel comfortable and at home. And there's so much deep healing in that you know, ancestrally. And I think that when you start to look at that and you've done work, so maybe, you know, a lot better than I do, but you've done work with all these people who still practice those ancestral healing ceremonies and movement and lifestyle and they're all so similar across the board from northern europe to south america to you know east asia you know native american there the practices are very similar the ceremonies are similar the deities and gods and goddesses that they pray to are so similar and if you break it down we all are different and special in that way but we all also are very similar in that way and i i really like that mission a lot Yaakov. I, I like that a lot because i think that's i think that is imperative i think our people in the industry and empire have really lost that way and now our our medicine men are pharmacies and you know we look for government for support and no i, I love that and i'd love to hear your opinion on that too because this is like your life's mission <laughs> Thank you very much and really interesting to hear. So I hear you talking about universality, like so the thing that unifies these spiritual practices, which um, I've definitely noticed, and then specificity of 
what what really belongs where mm -hmm. and so it's of course you can do any kind of ceremony anywhere but the land itself is has its own story and when we come back into the land of the body we start to become much more able to hear the story of the land under our feet the the ceremonies that are appropriate and so um you know interestingly i we have taken our work um into townships in south africa we had no idea also refugee camps in palestine um in many many places around the world we have no idea whether the work would that universality would would um be met and understood and so far um it's been a cut it really has landed and what what we've done i mean the essence of our work is a a ceremony that we do once a year which is a not-for-profit ceremony mm. called the long dance it's a 72-hour ceremony no psychedelics fasting um we have two amazonian leaders and an extraordinary woman also from uh fundacion pachamama in ecuador an extraordinary um ngo that was brought into being by the indigenous people themselves and that ceremony is really the essence of what we've learned and it's really through dance with live music with drums with music from all around the world and the the idea is is to to keep on moving till you reach the end of what you can do and at that point is when the ceremony begins when you're at the end the limit of your own known capacity that's when prayer begins and i when I say prayer, I don't mean belief in something. It means direct relationship with mm. something greater than us, the ground underneath us, the, the warmth from the fire, the, the, the wind, the rain, the, the sound of the rhythm, all of these energetic um, principles that are part of what we're made from. We're made from earth. We are lit up by the sun we're solar powered beings that's universal we're 60 65 percent water and without breath our life would be over so we are elemental beings and what we've learned is how to help people reconnect with that not through thinking about it not through abstract metaphor but through direct experience of this body is earth this body is made from material that was actually born in the nuclear furnace of exploding stars billions of years ago we are um, extraordinary beings we have resource and resilience within us that we are made from and so we we call that we call it the unbroken mm. so we we help people to connect with that which is unbroken inside them so that they can embrace that which is broken and bring that back into the realms of acceptance, self-acceptance, self-knowledge, healing. And basically that's a really strong way to build up our sense of personal power, which is a complete necessity yeah. um, if we're gonna have any impact in the world.
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that a lot. That's really powerful. And that it made me think when you were talking about the different instruments that are used through, like we were talking about universality, but also um, specialty. And there's definitely, I didn't think about that previously, there's definitely special instruments that are only used in certain ge geographical places. Is that, is that a frequency thing? How, how does that um, come about? I, I think, again, the frequencies are universal because they exist with or without us humans. But the instruments are specific to a culture because that's the material they had around them. Mm, okay. So, you know, Australian Aboriginal people playing a didgeridoo, yeah. they, they had that kind of wood and termites. And, you know, one day somebody discovered that um, how that worked. And maybe it was a dream. More than likely, it came as a dream. Yeah. And <laughs> they discovered how it worked. And that, that specific sense of uh the material the instrument the sound that that really um is related to that culture mm. is is really important and it's you know having said that i am super grateful that we live at a time when there is so much incredible music from around the world that's being put out by indigenous people and by people all around the world who want to, excuse me, share that medicine. Yeah. So we say, you know, movement is medicine, but so is music. Music is definitely medicine too. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, in the mixture of them both together, like in dance and things like that is so incredibly powerful. <laughs> that, that is about the strongest psychedelic I know. Yeah, I, I would say like, as a teenager, I messed around with stuff that, that teenagers shouldn't mess around with, as many rebellious kids do, for sure. And then as I became an adult, I was fearful of all of those things because I realized how lucky I was in many circumstances and worked with breath work and things like emotion code and like worked with shamans that worked in a way that there was, like you said, like no plant medicine. You're just working with your body, with movement, with your breath and with your thoughts and, you know people don't like the word imagination, but like working with that third eye or your mind's eye. And I have had many beautiful experiences and in, in healing just through that itself. And, yeah. and that is something I, I want people to get from this conversation with you, Yaakov, is that there is immense healing just in your own fingertips, in your own breath. And, you know, if you combine that with, totally. with someone who's experienced, then you know, you're gonna, you're gonna reach milestones very quickly. And you don't have to risk your life <laughs> doing other things. It, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And, and I think you've mentioned, um, like dreams quite a few times in this conversation. So I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on, on that the dream world itself. Well, you know, I, I think I once heard um, somebody saying really when we wake up in the morning we should get down on our knees in front of our dreams and bow mm. and because there's many different kinds of dreaming there's the kind of dreams that's simply digesting the day like the brain chewing over cleansing releasing just going over problems or situations challenges that we've lived through and digesting those that's the kind of basic kind of dreaming then there's more um archetypal dreams which are stories where you 
you might meet um, people or figures from your life that are very important to you, um, people that have already died, and those are symbolic and they they deserve our attention. I you know I often say, well, if you live till ninety, you're likely to be asleep for around thirty years of your life. Let's say wow. a third of that you need for repairing the body, so that gives twenty years of lifetime where you could be. Uh, really in the university that opens its doors to you every time you go to sleep and it's it's a universal university there is wisdom there and if you learn to become conscious um one to remember because many people don't remember their dreams mostly because of the way they wake up and wake up with a high cortisol uh, infusion from their alarm clock that's going like you know what kind of culture would choose to wake up like that with that kind of sound? And um, like, whoa, right, okay, yeah, right, okay, back to it. And like, wow, coffee, get going. Like, it's it's nuts. And um, for uh, but to wake up gently, like with a uh, with music or with um, bird song or with one of those um, simulated dawn alarm clocks yeah. that basically sets the light going off so that you you wake up naturally these things they they help us to remember that's number one and, and number two is you really have to say i i want this i'm interested it's like sending a postcard to your unconscious saying hey there's so much that i'm unconscious of i would love to have that window into my unconscious when I'm resting and sleeping. And then, of course, there is the possibility of becoming lucid in your dreaming, mm. which is that moment where you go, oh, there's my grandma. Well, my grandma died 25 years ago. And that's strange. She's wearing a tea cozy on her head and, you know, very high heels. And she's, she's riding a horse with two heads. That's a little bit odd. Oh, oh, I must be dreaming. Huh. And at that moment, a whole new realm opens up when we become conscious. And, you know, there are people who teach lucid dreaming. My good friend, Charlie Morley, who I really recommend, um, who's, uh, who's, that's really his life is to, to work with dreaming. And, but, but it is an incredibly fascinating and not just fascinating, but massively important part of our lives. The indigenous people we work with in the Amazon, the Achuar and the Zafara nation, they call themselves dream cultures. Oh. And what that means is that when they wake up in the morning, normally around 4 a.m., still in the dark, and they, they stay quiet, they make their morning tea, which is a tea called Huayusa, excuse me. And from that tea, they are, uh, they, they actually, it helps them to purge in the morning. It's not hallucinogenic. It's just the way that they look after their health and their biome. Yeah. They begin the day with a good purge and then they sit down and they share their dreams. Huh. And according to their dreams, they then decide what kind of a day it's going to be. Like, is it a good day for hunting? Is it a good day for staying at home because somebody dreamt that? somebody's coming to visit from the neighboring village huh. is it a time to to rest because there's a storm coming in 
what what's happening today yeah i like that I, that's really cool it is <laughs> <laughs> it's it really funny too because I, i'm gonna take a lot of that advice that you just gave too because i am <clears throat> i'm one of those people that wakes up at 4 30 in the morning to a buzz buzz alarm and jump up and i run and then in my wife she comfortably stays in bed normally till about six and she remembers her dreams and she has very vivid beautiful dreams that do guide her day and she listens to them very closely and she always asks me like you know what I dreamt about and I'm like you know I know I had dreams but I don't remember them yeah and I've wanted to remember them so I'm, I'm gonna do that I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that that's good advice right there I, it's so it's so rich for our whole psyches to be in touch with I call it the part of us that's dancing while we're asleep Mm. I like yeah the you part know, of us is dancing what, while we're asleep yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it is funny too like when we sleep because our brains are in what is it theta or delta they're, they're in a different frequency yeah. where they go yeah I mean it depends what level of sleep like when you're in REM sleep you're in you know or when you're like just before like that delta sleep is very deep very very deep sleep and the kind of dreams that might appear there are harder to pull back. Okay. But that they do, we do dream in that state as well. And um, again, you know, I'll say to you and do look up my friend, Charlie Morley, he's written extensively about lucid dreaming and about working with our dreams. And, you know, also to help people um, who don't remember their dreams, like Mm. little techniques that you can do that will help you. Yeah, I definitely will. Charlie Morley, I will definitely check him out because that's something like I've been able to with, you know, working with breath work and meditation to to get very beautiful messages that have guided my life and improved my life for my wife and my children and my community and family and have made me a better service to the world and many of those things. And I've often thought if I can get there so easily, you know, with breath, like I should be having dreams that are are similar but yeah i just haven't been able to pull them so yeah i, I appreciate that too and, and i'll link um i'll find some info on charlie morley and i'll link some of that in the show notes too in case anyone else is having those same thoughts when they listen and uh and Yaakov, yeah. we we both had a lot going on today so we have to cut it a little bit shorter than i wish because this is a this is an awesome conversation and, I, and i'm pulling a lot out of it and i know that the listeners will too but um i will link everything where you guys can find Yaakov and Susanna as well, um, their website, um, Instagrams and, and other things as well. You can book a lot of different events with these guys. Um, you speak as well. So if you want to book him for a speaking engagement, um, there's a lot of things, man, but do you want to, is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Well, thank you very much. I mean, there's, there's my books, which you'll find anywhere. And, but also we just literally launched a brand new website, which has been two years in the making, which is finally, it's a website that um, really matches the essence of our work. So we're very excited about that. It literally just came out on Friday and we're sorting out one or two little glitches that are normal from a, from a launch, but it's not a, you won't just find Susanna and myself there. You'll find, 130 or so of the people that we've trained around the world to offer movement medicine. So uh, it's a it's an extensive website and uh, really recommend your viewers to check it out. And 
you'll find all our online stuff there and everything else. And, you know, just, just to say my last words are just, I wish you and your wife and your kids, your family, your people, and the people that are listening to your show, all the very best, good health. And, you know, that, that real blend of self-acceptance, kindness, and discipline that leads us firmly on the road to being who we are and giving what we've got. Yeah. I love that, brother. That's awesome. Final last words. I didn't even, I was going to ask, but you, you did it. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. <clears throat> I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time too. And I just want you to know, I, I do appreciate it. We've been trying to make this work for a minute. We finally found a day and a time that worked for both of us. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. Uh, grateful for your time. Also grateful for your work. Excited to see where else you go because there's a lot of wonderful things coming together. And as the world becomes more and more connected, it's just going to expand and multiply. And so I'm excited to watch you move through that. So thank you, man. Thank you thank for you. your time. Thank you for, for your presence right. and your wise words. <laughs> thank you so much, Trenton, and all the very best to you. All right, Ciao. brother. Ciao, man. Take care. You too.